Hey everyone, if you've been a loyal listener for a while, I'm sure you've been wondering what I've been up to. And uh, there's been some changes in my job situation. I'm in Miami right now, and I just have been going through a lot of travel and also personal reflection and just wasn't in a place to do any creative output. But I have felt it, I have felt the hole in my chest uh, every day that I didn't create something, which is part of the resolve that I have for this mixtape. So I'm just trying to bring it back in slow amounts. I have a backlog that is very long. You can see it on my second brain on GitHub. But here, I'm just going to try to reintroduce myself slowly. Um, I would like to tackle more technical topics, but I just don't have bandwidth right now to stitch uh, some of the things I really want to to together. So you're going to get clips of related stuff that I don't have the time to group together, but I still found it pretty interesting anyway. So here is how I wrote Fight Club. What if there was a place you could go and get into a fight as casually as you would go ask someone to dance? What would the rules be for that place? It was a, such a miserable time in my life. I was right out of college and I had a job doing something I, I, I hated doing. And I was so desperate that somebody said, come join my church. And when you're right out of college, you've left behind all of your social structure. You've lost all your friends. And I was so desperate to be with people that I went to church. And the church had a giving tree and it was covered with ornaments and you just plucked an ornament. And one ornament that I plucked said, take a hospice patient on a date. The idea was that you would go to a hospice and you would ask out someone who was dying and you would take them to see the ocean for the last time. And more often than not, it was, will you take me to my support group? I need a ride. So I would drive them to their support group and I would have to stay at the support group. And no matter how much I tried to hide, people would assume that I had whatever everyone had. And there was no polite way of saying, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, don't have hepatitis. Good for you, but not me. And so I started to kind of create this narrative in which a man attends these groups because the next day when I went back up to work, I felt really good that no matter how shitty and boring my life had turned out with my journalism degree and all my student loans I still owed, at least I didn't have cancer. When people think you're dying, man, they really, really listen to you instead of just... Instead of just waiting for their turn to speak. Yeah. I had gone on a vacation, I'd been hiking and camping, and I had gotten into a really big fight with some people over noise at night in the woods. You know, some people who just had to camp right next to our camp. Just had to bring some huge radio up to 3,000 feet on the Pacific Crest Trail and have a, some big blowout party in the middle of the night. And I came back to work at the end of my vacation with my face just bashed. My face was so awful and so trashed that nobody would acknowledge it. Because to acknowledge it, somehow they would have to find out something about my private life they just did not want to know. And so for three months, as my face slowly changed color, eventually coming back to white, people would look at, at my chest and they would talk to my Adam's apple. And they would say, so how was your weekend? Did you do anything interesting? And I'd be looking at them with two huge black eyes saying, no, how about you? If you looked bad enough, no one would dare ask you what you did with your free time. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club.
And that goes back to the Cacophony Society, because Cacophony was basically an organization of people who had really boring jobs. They were letter carriers for the post office, they were bookstore clerks at Powell's, they were people who had really structured hourly job lives. And they needed a way to have chaos in their lives for a very structured like window of time. If we do this kind of a theme party, we can be crazy, we can be insane anarchists from four o'clock until midnight. People would host it, people would come up with concepts the way you did when you were kids and you would play a game. The boards are safe, but the ground is lava. So if you touch the ground, and you would do that, you just arbitrarily come up with rules. You know, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk, you just come up with a rule and another rule and you invent the game instantly you have the freedom the authority to do that and give up our boring lives for two or three hours i say never be complete i say stop being perfect i say look let's evolve let the chips fall where they may i would take the book and go through and use a highlighter to highlight all the stuff like i want to use i want to use this i want to use that because the book has got a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. it can't all go into the movie and then sort of use that as a guide and then sit down and stare at a blank screen for hours on end. Any novel has the advantage of being able to, to describe both external behavior and internal behavior. Screenplays don't have that luxury at all. It's watching external behavior. So even if you're faithful to a novel and a scene feels like it's faithful to a novel, if it works on screen, you have made changes to it. The thing that comes out with adaptations is you have to work as hard as you do on an original script. If you turn into a producer, director, or studio executive, an ungodly mess that's really faithful to the novel, you're gonna be replaced by another writer. If you were to die right now, how would you feel about your life? I don't know, I wouldn't feel anything good about my life. Is that what you wanna hear me say? Fine. Come on, not good enough. I like to do what I call it writing outside the script. And sometimes there are scenes that would come before the story of the script starts. And sometimes I interview the characters. I try to goad them, provoke them, get them angry, then get them, you know, suddenly talking in a sentimental way about some memory or something, and then get them joking and laughing and basically just get them all over the range with questions. And, um, you know, it starts off, it's, it's very, very mechanical at first, but they sort of start to come alive in an interview. People do it every day. They talk to themselves, they see themselves as they'd like to be. They don't have the courage you have to just run with it. I finished my own rough first draft of the script and looked at it and said, this will kill the project if I turn this in. And I remember that David had said, the narration should not help the audience. It should be its own disembodied thing. So then I just changed it all to commentary that either did not move the story forward, but moved the character forward, or contradicted what you're seeing. So often I think my, my go-to for a kind of comedic effect is the inappropriate social response to drama. That there's a long kind of build-up shaggy dog passage talking about a face printed in blood on the floor. And at the end of that, there's a pause and instead of reacting in horror, Tyler says, cool. And it always gets a huge laugh. And so it's that inappropriate, that refusal to buy into the drama of the moment, that disconnect that creates a kind of laugh. How's that working out for you? What? Being clever. Great. Keep it up then. 
if it's an idea and I pretty much know the idea, but I feel really blocked about how to shape it, mm -hmm. I start thinking about, well, what are, what are some key scenes that I feel like would be in this project? Whether it's the climax or some other part of the film. And I try to write those scenes first out of order. And what happens is I call it the scent of blood. <laughs> what happens is you are in it now and you didn't start on faded, but you're, you're in the script and it can kind of grow out from inside instead of page one. Go over to this part where you really have some feeling and write that. Because at some point, if you don't let yourself stop, you're going to get into it. You know, one really good test is if you can take it to a party and you can tell a very small part of it, as much of it as you know at that point, and people will vie for a chance to relate some aspect of their life that is very much like that, but an even more extreme example of that. So in a way, they're, they're, they're fleshing out your theme with parts of their own lives. And at the same time, you're beta testing it. You're kind of taking it on the road and you're seeing that it's an idea that resonates with a huge number of people. Because a great anecdote doesn't leave people speechless. It leaves them competing to tell a better version of the same thing. We're a generation of men raised by women. I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need. Tyler, on a, you know, on sort of a philosophic, political level, he definitely represents, I think, a very Nietzschean impulse toward the idea of, of nihilism as a practical approach. It's a lot like sort of Nietzsche's Zarathustra. It's the idea that nothing can change in a positive way unless a lot of the old values are ripped down. What gets explored in this film is the idea that nihilism is a very sexy idea when you're young and feel frustrated, but that becoming mature means recognizing the practical limits and, and in some ways the hypocrisies that nihilism lends itself to. I just feel like a character has to say something. Even if it's a stupid something, a character has to stand for something and has to risk saying the wrong thing. Even if it's just so somebody else can step forward and say, oh, that's full of shit. At least they're saying something. You know, taking responsibility for their viewpoint, which is really what Tyler's speeches were about, expressing himself even more so than sort of coming up with a vision or a dream. The Fernie catalog idea was, again, some kind of visual representation of, of this, you know, the idea that we're a byproduct of the armor that we select to let people know who we are, and that those that's not just clothes and cars and, and, you know, hairstyles, but it's also the furniture that you pick and whether or not it's, you know, sort of Southwestern or Pottery Barn or, you know, Ikea. You know, if all stories are the same in the end or if or if there's really only a few core stories i think this is kind of just like the graduate it's a story of youthful dislocation and of the feeling of sort of entering the adult world and feeling out of sync with the value system that you're expected to engage in and trying to figure out the answer to the question of how to be happy uh, in a way it's like a huge greek archetype in that that your fatal flaw is what destroys you the one thing you can't control, no matter how hard you work in the rest of your life, that's the part that's going to kill you. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. There are so few social model novels or stories for men. For, for women, there are, a, you know, every season, there's a new Joy Luck Club, a new How to Make an American Quilt. Just all these different models in which women can come together and talk about their lives. And if you're a man, you've got either Fight Club or you have the Dead Poet Society. 
and that is really it. So we don't have a lot of narratives that depict to men a role or a kind of script in which to come together and talk about their, their shed. Another thing is uh, Jordan Peterson. He talks about that need for really rough play. You know, we've kind of fallen away from this idea of consensual rough play. And I think Fight Club resonated with that a lot. And also the idea of Joseph Campbell's idea that there needs to be a secondary father in men's lives, that you're born, if you're lucky, with a biological father that you do not choose, and that is the nurturing, loving father that you eventually kind of have to reject. But in doing so, you have to choose a new father, and that father by choice typically is a, a minister or a teacher or a drill sergeant or a coach, and you kind of put yourself in apprenticeship and agree to learn what they're going to teach you. And that is getting harder and harder and harder to find. So Fight Club was also depicting a new form of the secondary father with all these kids that were showing up on the doorstep of this ramshackle old house. The fact that Bob is involved with Fight Club is significant because it reinforces the idea that Fight Club is more psychologically empowering than a support group because Bob really does have cancer and really is dying and he's better than he's ever been. So there were just so many aspects of men's lives that were not being addressed when Fight Club came out. And it sort of reinvented so many of those things that had fallen by the wayside. You met me at a very strange time in my life. Hello everyone, thanks for watching. On this channel, we are going to be learning how some of the best TV shows and films were created, hearing from the creators themselves. If this is something that would be interesting to you, uh, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and join us as we take a look behind the curtain.